He is our fire, the one we desired. He is the triple threat, Christian McCaffrey. Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast. The famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Random, Stephen Thayer, and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports with the Joe Randoms. We hope you enjoy. And remember, just keep swishing and don't strike out. Christian McCaffrey. Woo! What's going on, everybody? Stephen Thayer, Matt Ramirez here. The Joe Random Sports Podcast, episode 36. Matt, how about that game on Sunday? Not a, not a bad weekend to be a Niners fan. Uh, I was actually very shocked with considering the injuries going in for the Niners and the amount of health going in for the Rams, so... You never really know how the Niners are going to show up, and when they show up and play really well, it's it's a really good feeling for sure. Yeah, and we struggled out of the gates. It was a the Cooper Cup show was on its way, and and I am so happy that they just they fed the beast. Just just keep feeding him because he's an absolute monster. And I watched C Mac, CMC, Christian McCaffrey, the goat, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> Uh, he looks really good. Like the way that he's making his cuts, it's making people miss. He can pass block. He's got that second level acceleration. I mean, every time he's a good deep ball. Yeah. He's the best quarterback on the team. I mean, it's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Should I, uh, I got a great, I'll start off. I got two Joe Randoms facts today. One of them is relating to Christian McCaffrey. So do you want to, you want to hear the first? Let's do it. That's great. Let's get right into it. So the 49ers have three touchdown passes of over 30 air yards for the last three years. Just three. (laughs) 30, 30 air yards. That's it. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has one of them. Trey Lance has one of them. And CJ Beathard has one of them. (laughs) Oh yeah. There's uh, there's the first, first fact of the day. That is tough. Uh, I got a question for you. Who had the better stat line this weekend? Christian McCaffrey at 18 carries for 94 yards a rushing touchdown, eight carries, 55 yards, a receiving touchdown, and one for one, 34 yards, and a passing touchdown. (laughs) So you weigh that with Mr. Derrick Henry, 32 for 219, and two rushing touchdowns, one catch for nine yards. (laughs) I I go Derrick Henry. I think 32 carries, I mean, that – almost doubles what McCaffrey put up carries wise, but factoring in Rams, the Texans defense, which Henry kind of owns, I give a slight edge to Henry because I really like the old school, give it to me 30 times running backs. But what McCaffrey did is really, really rare, but a lot of it was schemed up, you know? 
I still have to go McCaffrey. I mean, the he had 27 touches compared to Henry's 33. So, you know, that that's I mean, the 219 yards is impressive. It Derrick Henry, for some reason, just he is really good against Houston. And so um yeah, you're right. A lot of it was schemed for McCaffrey, but when it's only happened three times in NFL history, going back to LT and Walter Payton, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The pass, I mean, the passing touchdown really uh, capped everything off for sure. Yeah, it was incredible. I am on a huge Christian McCaffrey high. I love him. I loved him when he was at Stanford. And uh, he is the secret to Shanahan's offense. If we can't win with Debo, McCaffrey, Kittle and Ayuk. Ayuk is the most underrated player in the offense right now. Uh, he's on pace for 1,400 yards, which is kind of crazy. He's not being valued that way, and defenses are not accounting him for that. Gosh, I can't wait for, for Debo to get back into this fold after the bye week. Niners 31-14 to win over the Rams. Kind of beat their butts in the second half. It was good to see the Rams struggle. And you know, even though Cooper Cup kind of tears us up, He's only averaging like six and a half yards per play um, in those two games. So I think that's a huge win for us. Definitely, definitely. It's, it's a bit, it seems like it's kind of a momentum shifter for the year. Like this was the tipping point where it really could have gotten ugly after a big move like McCaffrey uh, having all these guys uh, on offense. Like you're saying, Stephen, if, if we get to the end of the year and the Niners don't, pull off a deep playoff run whose fault is it going to be if these weapons stay healthy right yeah at this point um like just think about this too coming off the bye week Debo Juszczyk Elijah Mitchell Jawan Jennings Eric Armstead Aziz Alshair Drake Greenlaw Jordan Willis Javon Kinlaw Jason Verrett I mean if we get all 10 of those guys back I mean we may not got all of them but like if we get six or seven of them back next week I mean <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of similar to last year in the, uh, what was it, 2019 year, where yeah. they started to get guys healthy later in the year. So whew, that's, a, that's a dangerous offense. Yeah. Dangerous offense, for sure, with top three or four defense in the league, too. Yeah. One of the things I was really fascinated by was how the Rams were scheming against us, because the Rams have absolute no running game. And it's, it's clear, you know, Cam Akers is, is in purgatory. They've got some combination of Fresno State backups and, you know, washed up whoever they want to throw in there, Daryl Henderson. <laughs> but Stafford was, only, <laughs> yeah, Stafford was only sacked two times. And so I was like, gosh, you know, I, I felt like, you know, that we should have had way more than that. But uh, that offensive line is not good. I mean, they have pretty much three new random guys on that O-line. So it's like, gosh, we only got to Stafford twice. But the, the, the key thing is he's getting rid of the ball so fast. It's almost like he's Jimmy. And they everything that they did was like a screen pass, running back screen, bubble screen of the receiver, quick Jimmy slant over the middle. It was because they had no offensive line help. They, had, they did not trust the protection to get Stafford any help. Um, so I, I think the sack number is a little discouraging, and I think the pass rush uh, didn't get the credit that it deserves uh, after uh, Sunday. Yeah, the Rams just aren't a good football team anymore. Their line sucks. Receiving weapons aren't good beyond Cooper Cup. 
secondary really isn't very good beyond Jalen Ramsey. Their pass rush isn't what it was. Aaron Donald seems to have taken a slight step back. Uh, linebacker plays horrible. Bobby Wagner looks old. It's crazy how fast the Rams have fallen off from, uh, from the last two years, but I, I personally am a big fan of it. <laughs> oh man, for sure. Well, we'll take it. And I mean, we're going to have to be good because apparently Seattle is going to be that thorn in our side again. Uh, Seattle with a pretty convincing win over the Giants, who we all know is sort of a fraud at six and one going into the, the game against Seattle. But, you know, we've got the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Saints, the next three games. I think those are all very winnable games. And I, I think if we go two and one in those games, I'm going to feel a lot better about Miami, Tampa Bay, and Seattle for the next three games with uh, Seattle being five and three. Agreed. Yeah. Shanahan McDaniels in Miami might be a, an interesting big brother, little brother dynamic. <laughs> well, he, he owns McVeigh. So uh, I feel pretty good about McDaniel. And LaFleur. So yeah, it'll be, uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll be fun to watch that one for sure. The, uh, the dolphins look freaking good. Yeah. So speaking of the dolphins, we'll, we'll start there with our trade deadline talks. Um, so for our listeners, we have a packed show today. We, we don't have a guest on today because there is just so much to discuss between <laughs> the World Series, NBA, with uh, the Steve Nash getting fired. We just had Halloween. We've, we've got a lot of things going on. We want to break down the trades that just happened at the trade deadline. Uh, so, you know, we're going to do the best we can to get, the, to get you all the coverage. So, I guess before we get into trades because that'll take up a lot of our discussion uh you wanted to talk about uh the world series a little bit so let's let's dive into that yeah so obviously a pretty fun series so far um it was really really cool last night uh that yeah that was just last night to to watch the uh phillies hitters pick up on mccullers tipping his pitches i sent it sent it in the group chat i believe right you did. For those that don't know, McCullers, the Astros pitcher, was using a high, higher leg kick when he would throw his breaking ball and a shorter, more compact leg kick when he was throwing his fastball. Um, and that just made me think of just some different little games within a game that baseball brings. And I wanted to kind of educate our listeners on these little things that might make a baseball game more interesting for people to watch. Um, you look at things like tipping pitches so that every time a hitter steps into the plate, they're looking at whether the pitcher is wiggling his glove a certain way, if it's a breaking ball or a changeup, if he's um, having a shorter leg kick, if he, some guys look down right before they throw it, indicating a different type of pitch. It's all these little things that hitters are looking for to try to figure out what's coming um, without having to bang on trash cans or use sensors or things like that. Um there's things like timing the pitcher uh, move to home on stealing a base, like Schwarber in game one uh, stole the base off of the pitcher's timing because it, because of the scouting report said he was pretty much a one-count pitcher. Uh, Steven, I'm sure you hear guys talking about this all the time in, in the dugout. Um, pitch sequences, like you think back on how a pitcher pitches you a couple months ago in July versus how he's going to pitch you now, and you think back to how he got you out earlier in the season – use it to help you later on in the year to hopefully uh, hopefully win the matchup. Defensive positioning, letting your 
like as a second baseman, letting your first baseman know um, if the pitcher is throwing a lot of off speed, things like that. Um, Deking runners and into a slide or Ichiro did it in, in the all-star game where he faked like he was catching the fly ball, had all the runners tag up, save them from going home. So it's things like that, that really fire me up about baseball and the little games within a game that make watching what a lot of people would think is a boring baseball game. So that's my, that's my little baseball rant for the evening. Uh, you got me Jack talking about that. That's awesome. It's so cool when, cause, cause it's not like a loophole. It's just the like elite level. It's like AP baseball. And it's, it's so cool when you get to that level, when you have that much of an understanding of the game, because every little detail matters one step to the left if you're a second baseman or to the right could be the difference in a base hit the that one smidge of a second how you how you said you learn things over the course of the year how do i okay he got me out earlier in the season how do i do it now i mean that's so important and it goes completely unnoticed um when you look at the the runs and the the box score at the end you don't see any of that uh, but I, yeah I, it's really it's really cool stuff like it's just there's so many things that go into a baseball game that I wish was broken down more on the analysis. Like we get into the X's and O's of football. We the casual fan pretty much knows about cover two defenses and nickel sets and four three and all these different things that because the analysis is breaking down these things. But in baseball and even basketball, to a certain extent, it's not nobody dives into it. So nobody no casual fan is aware of these things and just a way to bring more excitement to the game that for people that have been around baseball for a long time, it's the stuff that really matters in winning and losing games, especially when it's October and every you're getting all the best pitchers, you're facing everyone's best stuff. So um, yeah, shoot, that got the juices flowing a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, So some more things on the world series, Actually, the Phillies are getting no hit right now. So we're in the no <laughs> eight, right? We're in the top of the ninth. Uh, Houston's going to hit, and then we're going to hit to the bottom of the ninth, and hopefully Philadelphia can break this up. Uh, but they've got pretty much just two walks on the day, and and that's about it. Christian Javier, nine punches uh, and two walks, and that's it. He's been absolutely dominant. The rest of that bullpen, really good. So it's a good series, and. Um, I read some things, you know, obviously last night was a big deal. When a game gets postponed, that changes the entire dynamic of the series. And again, the, the people don't really think about that. But now you've got an extra day rest for a guy like Verlander who can now throw a day sooner. That That is a huge, huge advantage. And I think the, the Phillies have a great pitching staff um, as well. But I was reading up on last night, you know, the Phillies to hit five homers uh, off of Lance McCullers, it's the most ever one pitcher's given up in a World Series game. And it was the third time in MLB history, excuse me, the fourth time that a team had hit five home runs in the World Series. You got to go back to the 28 Yankees, Braden, the 89 A's, and of course, the 2017 Astros. Um, so you just don't see that a lot. Lance McCullers, you know, the, the whole tipping pitches that got publicized he was like, no, I just got beat. They, everything was moving well. Everything was good. They just beat me. <laughs> the Phillies, I don't know if they're using technology or if they were just super smart to pick up on this, but McCullers hadn't given up a home run on all 651 of his off-speed pitches leading up to that. 
So the fact that they hit five was unreal. It was unprecedented. And not to mention McCullers had the 2.7 ERA in about 60 something innings going into that game yesterday. So this was very uncharacteristic. And I think you have to tip your cap to the Phillies uh, for, for picking up on this. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was anything technology. I mean, it could have been technology-based where they look at it on the video um, in the dugout, but he was, it was pretty obvious once, uh, once you see that, the tip of the, the shorter leg kick. Like, that would be something that we would have noticed in college. Like, it, was a, it was a very obvious one. Well, it looks like it's going to be about 2-2 two to two here in a, in a few minutes, but the Phillies did take a 2-1 lead last night. Teams that take a 2-1 lead, so coming off of a split, and that, that team that wins the third game wins the World Series more than two-thirds of the time. It's, it's happened 41 out of 61 times that that team wins. So now the odds obviously shift back. We're, we're looking at a 2-2, two two, but uh, it's, you have to be help, happy if you're Philadelphia. Now you're at home. you got to at least uh, get one more, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. The uh, Them taking one in Houston and then doing what they did last night is really big for the series. But like you said, the rain delay, I think, really, really helps the Astros and especially Verlander get an extra day of recovery, uh, bolster that bullpen a little bit more. So it's going to be a dogfight. I originally had Phillies in six. Um, I'll officially stick to that prediction, but it looks like it's going to go seven games and yeah, it's uh, it'll be a good one. I my last Joe random fact of the day will be presented later, but it is a World Series fact, so I'm excited for that one. Maybe we can turn it into a, a Burnett sucks trivia question. <laughs> uh, we can we can try. Yeah, we can try. <laughs> it might be tough. All right, so uh, one last shout out on the World Series. I want to give props to Gene Segura. Why? Why Gene Segura? This is actually his first postseason. He's been around since 2009, took him till 20 or excuse me, 2012, uh, but took him 10 years to find an 11 really to get to the postseason. And he hasn't had a great postseason. Um, he had a really good uh, NLDS, but for a guy who's going back to our underrated episode, Matt, it's a guy who's been around. He's pr- generally pretty healthy, you know, two-time all-star can provide some speed you know, he'll get you a home run here and there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I hope that uh, they can win it for Gene. And, and as for the Phillies, uh, they do have that championship roster. Obviously, we know Houston does. But with uh, Bryce Harper, he's kind of that catalyst. And, you know, they, they got those pickups and Brandon Marsh, Noah Syndergaard, kind of uh, David Robertson, underrated pickups at the deadline. It has very, it has very giant C 2010, 2012, 14 feel to it. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, they, uh, they got the, the reincarnation of Jason Worth and Brandon Marsh and, uh, <laughs> Good one. And I want to tip my cap to Bryce Harper. That guy is officially on the game's biggest stage, putting on a show for everyone. He's, he's an incredible player and, uh, I'm excited that everyone gets to see that and he gets to show it deep in the playoffs again. Yeah. He's an absolute dog. Absolute dog. Um, so yeah, uh, I think pretty much all of the nation minus uh, Houston, Texas is rooting for Philadelphia here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's been, it's a great it's great for the MLB to have a villain. You know, I think uh, I think this series is fun because of it. You kind of get the city of brotherly love versus the team with the trash can. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well said. We'll update you as that result comes in. You'll obviously know by now, but uh, whether that no hitter is official or not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. So gosh, to continue to move on, on topics to discuss, we don't have to talk about it too much, but Steve Nash got fired earlier this week by the Nets after a pitiful two and five start. It's really not Nash's fault. I think everybody knows that, but it's like, it's like, what did, you know, going into the season, what, what did you expect? Um, I think the, the craziest thing about this is Ime Udoka might actually get the next job, which just is just wild to wrap your head around all these things. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. You got Kyrie tweeting about the neo-Nazis. You got KD with his burner accounts and replying to all these random fans and (laughs) saying that he really loved working with Steve when he puts in uh, an official request to have him fired and or be traded. What a dumpster fire the Nets are. Do you think, do you think they, uh, you think they regret going all all in on those two superstars? Well, they're certainly generating a lot of publicity and revenue. So, Hey, maybe not. Maybe not. I th- well, maybe they regret the Harden thing, but Ben Simmons has been pretty bad. I mean, can they get anything out of him? He's like he's averaging like six, six and five. He can't shoot. He's hurt ball. again. Hurt again. I mean, really, all they have is is a is a Nick Claxton who, <laughs> who's averaging <laughs> like like twelve and eight. You know, it's it's just tough. They really don't have any depth. So maybe, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Matt. Pretty demoralized looking team coming off the floor the other night on, uh, I think it was a TNT broadcast. It was uh, weird to watch with how much talent they have on the top end of that roster. Yeah. And then if, if Udoka actually comes in to take the job, <laughs> I hope that happens. I, I do. Uh, it would be a Kardashian level drama. <laughs> yeah. The, the NBA is a circus, so I wouldn't put it past it. Warriors are struggling right now, but we'll get into those, those tidbits in later episodes. I, this is semi-related, but there's been a lot of brawls recently. And we saw this, this happen, Michigan State, Michigan's big news. It's all over the media with uh, my, my Spartans uh, committing some, I don't know what you want to call it, but not doing good things. And uh, gosh, even the, the, the Michigan State president just uh, resigned, actually. He just retired today. I don't know if it was because of that or if it was planned. I just, just an interesting factoid, but Michigan state, I believe we're up to eight players suspended. I think there was four initially out of that, the, the first bout, and then they just suspended four more yesterday. I, I don't know any of those players. Those players were not there when I was there. Um, and so it's only one guy that you can blame and that's Mill Tucker. And I'm not, I'm not trying to come after him as, as our coach. It's just, I'm, going to be a little bit critical of, okay, he's supposed to be a good recruit, a good recruiter. And I don't know if we have those high character culture guys. And maybe these guys are fine and maybe they just made a mistake, which I want to believe, but that's not a good sign when eight of your guys get popped. And I know Michigan is, is not scot-free here. They probably did something. They always do something. They're always doing something to, to create a stir going back to Juwan Howard earlier in the year, punching a coach. I mean, come on. Uh, so, and they, he barely got a slap. <laughs> he got a slap on the wrist. <laughs> so no pun intended. Yeah. The, uh, but, a big thing 
that I took away from it is why are they walking down the same tunnel at the same time? It's really odd how that was choreographed, how the stadium was designed, whatever it was. Um, but to your original question, there does seem like there's a little bit more brawls in the past few months than there has been in the past few years. And that might just be because of more camera access, more leaking of video. Like I'm sure there's been plenty of fights in the fist fights in the NBA at practice that haven't been leaked, things like that. So um, speaking of your Michigan state Spartans, uh, you guys got some mean right hooks over there at that program. So um, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. It is, it's interesting, but why for me, why are they walking down the same hallway that's that's what i the biggest takeaway from it that i had yeah the the big house is an old crap hole that's that's part of it but this goes back to the the Devontae adams thing i mean that's that was big news too i mean it's just when the game ends it's almost like a free-for-all you know security isn't really it's weird it's it's the there, there are strict confines within the game but then once the game is over, people just kind of do whatever they want and that that 15-minute gap to get back to the locker room, reporters, whatever it is. So that's something that maybe NCAA, the NFL might need to look at in terms of how are we protecting players, how are we protecting staff. Uh, I totally agree with you. There should have been something that's why are they walking down at the same time? That shouldn't happen. Um, and maybe that's something that's going to change in light of this. Um, but yeah, yeah, who knows? There is a lot of act- – a lot of people have – a lot of access to all these guys and in the heat of competition like that, things get really, uh, really fiery. So good point. Bringing that up with uh, limiting access, more security, uh, less people on the field. I think there's a lot of cameramen that are way too close. Like just there's a lot going on, especially on the football field right after a game. I told JT this too. There are so many people that are, quote unquote credentialed that are on the sidelines and they're it's like why are they there uh it's so you know that's something to look at um and and i always were i always cringe when a player this doesn't matter college or pro like gets tackled hard going into the sideline you know what if they hit a bench they injure another person they they break something it it just I've, i've always wondered why you know, why does everything have to be so close? But um, nonetheless, a lot of brawls. I mean, Aaron Donald was swinging helmets at people earlier. He didn't really Not about that. that. Yeah. The Jordan Poole, Draymond Green. So you do raise a good question. Is it the technology that's promoting some of this that just it's just being caught on camera more? Or are people actually angrier and don't know how to handle themselves? I don't know. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. I would assume it'd be more so the technology. Uh, and fights getting out. But with Devontae Adams in this hallway thing with Michigan State, you bring up a good point for sure. Uh, All right. Uh, We had the first college football ranking come out this last weekend. Uh, It's go time. It's uh, it's CFB season. And uh, I think the the funniest thing about it was that Ohio State was uh, was not number one. So number two. <laughs> number two. Uh, we got a big game this weekend. Georgia, Tennessee. Georgia favored by 12 and a half out off the jump. I'm excited. It's going to be a good game. Hendon Hooker, Heisman candidate, along with uh, CJ Stroud. But I, I think Hooker has the edge right now, JT. <laughs> Agreed. Mostly because of the SEC factor. 
Did you say Georgia was favored by 12 and a half? They opened at 12 and a half. I think it's down to eight and a half now because okay. uh, their linebacker tore his pec and is out for the season. So oh, geez. that's tough. But all right. College football, baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Fantasy football real quick. I just want to make <laughs> a note that ninth place is four and four. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how everybody's in this thing. And then, uh, the 10th and 12th place teams, which is you and Braden, are both top five in points. So there's really only one guy eliminated from this entire thing, and that's Scoops. And there's really only one guy who's secured a spot, and that's Bandler. Everybody else pretty much is in between. It's it's a free-for-all right now. <laughs> Goes to show the, the strength of strength of our ownership right now. Baseball is very similar going down to the final few weeks. Uh, looks like basketball is probably going to be that way with some of the top probably five or six teams and then a couple of us straggling down at the bottom. But yeah, like you said, I mean, JT's at, I, I can't remember his record off the top of, the he- top of my head, but he's got a really low po- point total and a decent amount of wins. I have a high point total and not very many wins. Um, Bandler's team is starting to separate themselves a little bit. Um, and then you get, uh, the kind of the, the middle ground there, the 500 team. So what a, what a finish we have brewing here. Yeah. It, it just seems to be after the pandemic, the fantasy sports have sort of leveled. I don't know. People are sort of figuring things out. It's, it is quite interesting. So the trades, the biggest trade deadline in NFL history, eight guys got exchanged or eight, eight big trades that happened. And that's not including what happened uh, beforehand, the few trades that we've discussed and, and in between. So, you know, we'll, we'll try to talk about a few of these. Before the deadline, uh, Roquan Smith was dealt a day earlier. So the Bears uh, got rid of him. And uh, Roquan Smith, uh, one of the best inside linebackers in the league, I think. Now, he's, he's uh, not much of a coverage guy, but like he, he's an impact player. So yeah, he's a, he's a thumper for sure. The Ravens run D hasn't been great this year. He's obviously a run stuffing linebacker. Um, I'm excited to see what the Ravens can do. I'm disappointed defensively. I'm disappointed in the lack of moves they made offensively to get Lamar any sort of weapons. Again, it seems like they're just going to keep letting him run and dump it down to Mark Andrews and do their thing offensively. So I don't know how much better realistically the Ravens got. I would say they probably went from, you know, they probably got a little bit better on the, on the run defense side of things, but I don't think it changes anything in terms of a Super Bowl outlook for them. They're really banged up um, with Rashad Bateman having a little bit more serious injury. Mark Andrews is questionable. I mean, Gus Edwards is not really a healthy running back, but he's the lead guy. You've got Kenyon Drake. It's just, it's not a very good offense outside of Lamar. Some good points there. Um, so Roquan Smith was the number eight pick in the 2018 draft. He'll be a free agent next year, um, and and that was a it was a sec fourth fourth. What was the what was the pick that they traded for him? A fourth round, a fourth I believe. Yeah, a fourth round pick for a rental, basically. Um, or or they have it in their budget to pay him and figure out what they're going to do with Lamar. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a good way to put it. We'll, we'll see how he does to close out the season. 
And the other big fish to drop was Bradley Chubb, the fifth overall pick in that 2018 draft. And he is a defensive end. He is a a beast of a pass rusher. He was a little bit banged up last year, but for the majority of his career, he's been really solid. Denver had a really nice piece there on that defense. He was a big reason why they've been able to stay in so many games under Vic Fangio and even under uh, Paul Hackett this year. So to Paul, Nathaniel, I always mix up the son and Nathaniel. <laughs> um, so now he goes to a very good competitive Miami team. And we're seeing all of the, the things on social media. The, the Miami Dolphins acquired Jalen Waddle with one of their picks. They traded one of them to get Tyreek Hill. And they just traded the other one, the other first round pick, to get Bradley Chubb, another guy who they could re-sign. He's going to be a free agent this year. Uh, now, they, they had to spend to get him. Uh, so, it's I mean, Denver, with all the picks that they got rid of for Russell Wilson, it's kind of a good move for them. They're clearly not going to contend this year. So, uh, why? what a piece he's going to be for Miami. Yeah, Miami reminds me, they're the AFC version of the Niners, right? Like, they have a really good roster. They have a ton of playmakers. They have a lot of speed, uh, good offensive-minded coach, and great, great O-line, elite left tackles. Uh, pretty good lockdown corners. And then you get into the quarterback situation. They're very similar quarterbacks, uh, both pretty limited down the field, but good distributors of the ball. Uh, obviously, two has had injuries. Jimmy's had plenty of injuries. Very, very similar AFC-NFC comparison right there. Yeah, good points there. Uh, Tua, I don't know, man. He stretched the field pretty good against Detroit. You know, he's one of those guys that's showing a little bit higher ceiling than than Jimmy right now. But yeah, the the consistency and the health has has been his biggest hindrance. Uh, the Dolphins shipped Chase Edmonds to the Broncos in that trade. Um, he'll likely go into a committee position with uh, Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray there. So, uh, I think this is great for Miami. They they had a pretty rough defense, and um, they've uh, they've upgraded officially. We've just in. It is a no hitter for the Houston Astros. Uh, wow! Combined no hitter. This is incredible. This is history right here. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. Yeah, no hitters in perfect games for especially one pitcher are becoming extremely rare. Yeah, and to do it in the World Series, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool stuff. Regardless of uh, what you think about the matchup. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Other trades. Oh, by the way, did you know that Bradley Chubb was Nick Chubb's cousin? He was or is? He is. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's crazy. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, two Chubbs are uh, two Chubbs make a right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> big Chubb, big Chubb, big Chubb, little Chubb. Uh, but yeah, that's some good genetics over there in the Chubb uh, Chubb family tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another big one that was kind of interesting was the Chase Claypool trade, sending a second-round pick Chicago for Chase Claypool. Steelers get a much-needed second-round pick. I mean, Claypool was like the fourth option for them. Uh, he just really hadn't been integrated, especially with the emergence of George Pickens. So now the Bears get a for-sure number two receiver, maybe even number one, uh, depending on how you view Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney's not really good right now i think he's getting a lot of tension i don't think he's 
being utilized correctly because he's just the one receiver. But now Justin Fields gets a much needed weapon. And I know a lot of people are out on Justin Fields, including myself, but he is the number 11th ranked quarterback in fantasy. He can make plays with his legs and uh, moving towards next year, Chase Claypool kind of looks nice for him. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think this is a very good move for the, for the bears. They're giving a second round pick for a receiver who I think is at best a bead receiver. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's helpful for fields because clearly they don't, they don't have many weapons. I think it's a great move for the Steelers uh, and to put the cherry on top and kind of wrap the bow on this whole thing. Chase Claypool announced the pick that they picked uh, George Pickens. So pretty cool, pretty crazy wow. turn of events uh, <laughs> at the draft last year. So what a, what a weird world the NFL is becoming, but overall, I don't, I don't think it's a great move for the bears at all. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I think it's the situation for them where they saw an opportunity to upgrade and I can't blame them for taking a leap of faith. Um, but Chase Claypool is kind of a character from what we've seen these last uh, year and a half or so. So I don't know. He is a big body, could provide something for Justin Fields. Uh, some of the other ones, we didn't talk about this much. We don't have to, but the Robert Quinn trade, the Philadelphia getting uh, getting an upgrade there. And uh, some of the other, the, the more peculiar ones, uh, TJ Hawkinson, an intra-division trade, which you really don't Never see that see a lot. That. Especially with a guy who was, what, the 10th overall pick for the Lions? Uh, they, they really... I mean, that was kind of a crazy pick to begin with. Uh, what do you think of that trade? I was shocked by it, especially going to the Vikings. But I, Josh put in the group chat, it was, they're not going to pay him, so why keep him? But uh, the rich get richer in the, the NFC North, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, the Lions got a second-round pick and a third-round pick in that trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 2023 second, 2024 third, it sounded like, yeah. I remember. Yeah, and I, I, I can't remember which trade it was. It might have been that trade when Adam Schefter was like, it could be a conditional fourth, so that could be a third with the potential to be for a second or a first. I, I don't remember how he, how he said it. but uh, All the conditional stuff gets me, uh, gets me confused and – all I know is that that's about the only picks the Niners have are conditional compensation, compensation yeah. pick. <laughs> but the crazy thing is the Lions got a second and third, but they also gave up two fourths in the trade. So that that is interesting. I, I do think it goes back to Josh saying, well, we don't want to pay him like an elite tight end. He's not an elite tight end. For us, he's not. So you know, I think they admit their mistake and they move on from him, which is, it sucks. It, it is what it is. Uh, I don't think he, he really increases in value or anything like that. You know, it's not like Minnesota needed him. Irv Smith was an okay tight end, but he's, he's way better. He's way better. He's definitely an upgrade. It's just, you still have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne, Dalvin Cook. So, I, I mean, I don't know how much he's going to stretch defenses, but he is the athletic tight end. Yeah, another another solid weapon for Kirk. But I do respect the Lions for, like you said, admitting their mistake and trying to make a difference uh, with future picks. I mean, it's all you can do, right? Like try to try to move on and keep moving forward. But that, uh, that franchise is it's in a tough spot. Not to mention Hawkinson's never really been healthy. 
So I, I don't blame them for trying to move on from him. But yeah, you're right. It's a, yeah. it's a tough, tough franchise to be a fan of. <laughs> the <laughs> the last trade of the day was came close to the deadline was our boy Naheem Hines, uh, who, <laughs> you know, I I think he has like 1,700 receiving yards, which is like tops among running backs since 2018. Uh, he's under contract till 2024. Um, so the bills will have team control over them that this, the rest of this year, 2023 and 2024, uh, all they really had to pay was Zach Moss and a six round pick. So, you know, I think this is an interesting move because, you know, James cook as a rookie receiving back, clearly they didn't really care for him too much. You know, you get a veteran guy can, can maybe help you out. Okay. They didn't have to pay much for him. Zach Moss was virtually useless in that offense. So, I see why the Bills are are doing that. Um, as for the Colts, uh, I would move on from Naheem Hines too. I, I think he's yeah. Like what we say in fantasy football, he's when he's on your bench, he puts up twenty three. When he's in your lineup, he puts up one. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he's a good weapon for the Bills, like a good scat back. But it seemed like James Cook was kind of already doing that for them, and they don't really have a running back to give it to on the short yardage situation. So. I think it's kind of a, a wash move all around. I think Zach Moss is a decent enough flyer for the Colts to take and take your take your pick with a six rounder and hopefully find some diamond in the rough. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a good sign for uh, Deion Jackson owners too. I think he's that passing down back. We saw a flash of that when Taylor was hurt, and maybe he gets more of a chance to reprise that role. Colts are in a peculiar situation with uh, where to go from here, but. Sam Ellinger is at, at the helm. Matt Ryan's no longer a Hall of Famer, and uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. We talk a lot about the Colts on this podcast uh, for a team that's underwhelmed. But anyhow, yeah. The, the Actually, we forgot about one trade, the Calvin Ridley deal. Maybe the most interesting deal out of every trade that we've seen so far. Uh, you might have to pull up the, the trade uh, details for this, but I think Jacksonville is getting a big discount for Calvin Ridley. Um, he's not playing football right now. He won't be playing for the rest of the year. He hasn't played football in a while, at least good football in a while. So Jacksonville is like, Hey, you know, Trevor Lawrence, get him a big weapon, Christian Kirk. We've got a nice young offense, Travis Etienne. I think they, uh, they, they made a great move under the radar trade there. I do as well. Like that offense moving forward is going to be uh, really good. It is a, it's a pretty big gamble on the, uh, the Jaguars part, but you had to do um, it. You had to do it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I really like what the Jaguars are doing. Trevor Lawrence is kind of missing piece for them. Well, you know, we, we keep giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? And I think maybe now he starts to deserve some criticism for being the first overall pick. I agree. I've been saying, I've, I've been saying that for a few weeks now. It's weird how Lawrence seemed like he took a couple steps forward early in the year, and then now he's taking some steps back. But, um, yeah, I, it's weird how little national publicity he gets when a guy like Fields uh, gets all of the hate. Trey Lance gets a lot of hate. Uh, Zach Wilson, for sure, gets a lot of hate. Um, and Mr., uh, Mr. Goldilocks doesn't hear much of anything. Yeah. Oh, it's Jacksonville. They're they're suck. They're bad. It's like what? That's that's what? fair. What's, but what's going still, on? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
Uh, I, I would argue he's gotten he's either stayed the same or gotten worse every year since his sophomore season in college. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I, I think the Falcons uh, did, a, did a good move here, too. I didn't realize Calvin Ridley was 28 years old. I mean, he, you know, but he's still in his prime, but. I didn't. Re- I thought he was still kind of a young, up and coming receiver. He, he's really not. He he will be expected to produce when he gets back into the fold. And I think it's a good move for Atlanta to just kind of stockpile some picks um, to to go along with their young core that they're building around. Agreed. I mean, you might as you might as well got it. Um, uh, roll the dice and get rid of someone like uh, like Ridley. Um, and uh, kind of move on, uh, <laughs> cut your losses, uh, and uh, play with some house money. <laughs> you sound like uh, Oogie Boogie from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Let them roll. Let <laughs> roll. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, honestly, I think it's a win-win move. I mean, if you're the Falcons, there's not really a whole lot of point in keeping him. You're clearly going to a run-heavy scheme, and Jaguars need weapons, so – uh, win-win. Also for the Falcons, uh, Arthur Smith, the head coach, doing a fantastic job. That team is four and four. They they had a shootout <laughs> against Carolina that went into overtime. That was crazy. I mean, the whole DJ Moore hail mary from PJ Walker, and then the overtime. It's good to see those teams playing hard. I think what Atlanta is doing is they are slowing the game down. They are running the ball effectively with that combination of Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier. I don't know how Cordero Patterson, now that he's back, is going to change it. Um, But they are slowing the game down, controlling the time of possession, and allowing Arthur Smith is allowing his team to stay in football games and kind of let Marcus Mariota manage the game. I think this is a brilliant, brilliant strategy for a team that doesn't have as much talent as some of the big dogs in the league. Yeah, yeah. Speaking speaking of kind of the the lower end of the league, real quick, Haley and I are in this losers pool where if once you pick a loser, you can't pick them again. What are your thoughts on oh, the Texans lo- Texans losing to the Eagles? That's oh, got to be a no brainer, right? You've got it. You haven't picked the Texans yet. No. She, well, she's the one who's still in it. I'm I'm out. Oh, um, okay. So I'm I I give her like three or four options for the week and she rolls with it and she's been she's hasn't picked the texans yet and they're playing the eagles so i think it's a no-brainer right i think this is a great time to do it philadelphia is favored by two touchdowns if they 13, stop, 13 and a half that's crazy if they college, somehow lose this game, yeah it would be one of the worst losses in nfl history i don't see Agreed. it happening uh, the Texans are kind of a, a dumpster fire right now outside of Damian Pierce of all people. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's our guy. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that's the no brainer for the week, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the confirmation on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all in on Philadelphia. Uh, okay. Did we cover all the, the trade points from the, the week? Um, oh, Jeff Wilson. I mean, that's, that's a big one. Miami. <laughs> replaces Chase Edmonds with Jeff Wilson. Probably a, probably a nice upgrade. Guy who knows the offense. The Niners get a fifth-round pick back. You know, we we actually have quite a few picks next year. We've got like two or three-thirds. I mean, if D'Amico Ryans gets hired, that's a compensatory pick that we get for – Third-rounder or fourth-rounder, yeah. Third-rounder for minority hire. 
like the Niners actually have quite a few picks next year. And um, we're going to be able to parlay some of those picks going on with the gambling theme into higher picks. I think we have so many fifth round picks. We'll be able to get some fours, get some more thirds or 10 to thirds in the seconds. Uh, a lot of seventh round picks that we can play with. So uh, the Niners actually have a lot more picks than people think. Smart. Yeah, Niners, Niners need to live in the uh, three to five round range. That's where all their good players come from. Right. Uh, what was the meme? Uh, oh, yeah, that's when we found Dre Greenlaw and George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> Warner, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, Jeff Wilson was a nice player for us, but for a guy who we took late and or just kind of took a flyer on, and now he we got some capital for him. So I, th- I think that's as good as you can get. And I think it's a good sign for Elijah Mitchell. I think that the Niners are saying, you know what, we've got a starting running back in the reins to handcuff McCaffrey. We feel good about that. We're confident in Elijah Mitchell. So I think that's a very good sign. Yeah, I think it's a smart move. Also, I think Wilson wanted to be traded. So good move all around. Yeah, no, it's it's good. All right. You want to get to the the fun parts of uh, this episode today? Yeah, let's get to it. Well, first off, Matt. I know you had you had something. I had some – I. I want to ask you, because it popped up in the group text, what are your top five favorite candies? Yeah, I mean, we just had Halloween. Yeah, so like I said in the chat, I always try to break them up. Are we talking chocolate candies, sugar candies, kind of the two separating factors? I See, I, I combine them. I, I, All right, if I, yeah. I'll combine. I'll combine. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll uh, tickle your sweet tooth. Um, <laughs> I, I think for me, top five, I got to throw Sour Patch Kids in there. I'm not going to go in any order. Uh, Sour Patch Kids, uh, Reese's, especially the pumpkin, uh, shaped Reese's Kit Kat's got to be in there for me to keep it diverse with the sugar. I'll do, uh, Skittles. And then uh, to cap it all off, I'll I'll end with a Snickers. I think the best uh, best thing you could possibly have on a golf course is a Snickers and a Gatorade. So really, that's an interesting combination. I haven't tried it. What what gets it done for you? Blue Gatorade, Snickers. Have a couple of those. I usually eat it in about eight seconds. Uh, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm a candy fiend. For those that don't know, and uh, yeah, after that, I feel dangerous. A couple birdies coming down the line. Yeah, seems like. say Marshawn Lynch almost really with <laughs> three three hundred yard drives coming after that. Yeah, what about you? So number one is Hershey's cookies and cream. Okay. Yep. Number two is Reese's. We have a lot of similarities. Um, number three is the Hershey's hugs. You know what I'm talking about? They're they're the kisses, but they're like the swirl with the chocolate vanilla. Oh yeah. Yeah, really, I actually didn't even know those were called hugs, but yeah. Yeah, really, really tasty. Uh, fourth, I've got um, Crackle. Wow, really? Yeah, I th- those rice bits, just they do it for More me. More than a crunch bar? Yeah, I used to be a, crunch, a big crunch fan, um, and, and I've changed to Crackle. I think it's just better. And uh, number five, I've got Sour Patch Kids. Um, okay. I'm not a big sour uh, type fruit candy. I do like myself a lemon starburst. I, I kind of like the sour Skittles, but the Sour Patch Kids crack into my top five. I would say 
Kit Kat and Twix, honorable mention. Um, I've, I highly recommend if you, anybody can find this, but Kit Kat made a limited edition blueberry Kit Kat bars. Um, I've, I've also the white chocolate. I've had the Kit Kat white, the white chocolate. chocolate's good. Really yep. good. The blueberry one is kind of like that, but it's, it actually tastes like, like cupcake. It is so I could, good. I couldn't imagine that being good. Oh. I'm, I'm not a fruity, fruity chocolate combination it type does person. It. My all, my all underrated, just, uh, cracking out the outside of the top five would be mini M&Ms. For whatever reason, those do it for me. I don't know why. If if you put them on, also, also, I, I, Stephen, I think there's about 25 different candies I could list off that are just outside my top five. So. <laughs> like a, a a JT. Well, they could be in there too. Well, they could be in there too. <laughs> well, uh, if it wasn't for five other ones, they would be in the top five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like a mini M and M's on a Sunday, uh, and. Uh, yeah, in the right setting. I, I don't think they're elite by themselves. I also like uh, coconut M and M's. They're uh, they're like the peanut ones, but they're coconut flavored. Really good, surprisingly. But there's a new crunch M and M that you would probably like, similar to like the crispy treat in the M and M's. It's it's interesting. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Pink star, pink starburst are fantastic. Um, not, not my Swedish favorite. fish. Yeah, uh, yeah, not not there with you on that. But there's these cubed gummy warheads that, if anyone ever sees them, Haley and I have found them twice, and they're fantastic. But we've never been able to really find them. They're not super sour like the classic uh, warheads, but they're uh, really really good. Okay, yeah, these are good things to keep in mind. Uh, we appreciate you guys indulging us with your uh, with the candy talk. All right, I. I have a new section. Well, it's not a new section, but it's a fun section that I created. And, and by the way, I think everybody should follow us on Spotify, give us a five star, whatever, share us, do all the, all the things uh, we do appreciate your listeners, listenership. Um, Send it in your other friends, group chats, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No shame. <laughs> no shame. November. So, all right. I was I started mapping this out about a week ago, two weeks ago, because our group text is just so phenomenal. And everybody's got a pretty distinct personality, at least the people who are consistent in the group text. Um, I think our league is pretty close. We've been together for a long time. Um, so what I decided to do was if every Joe Random wrote a self-help book, here's what it would be. Oh, God. Let's hear this. So... It's everybody in the Joe Ballas and Andrew because he's not in the Joe Ballas. So that, that leaves 14 of us. I didn't put DJ or Scoops or Dudik because they're not really, you know, they're not listening to this. <laughs> Most likely not. But if they are, uh, please text me and I'll, I'll make you a book. <laughs> I'll write you your own book. Okay. We'll send you a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let us know which book you would buy or which book you would want to read. I'm very curious. Um, some of these, I'll admit, were a little bit harder because the lack of involvement in the group text. Um, so just bear with me. Okay. First book, hot off the shelf, top of the charts, Relentless Optimism by... Nathan Kuzbari. <laughs> Nathan Kuzbari, the, the great reactor. Relentless optimism, using the power of hope for a positive outlook on life. There you go. It's a great one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good start. I like that. I, okay. uh, 
couldn't have worded it better myself. Yeah. He is the relentless optimist. Uh, number two, surefire confidence. Who wrote that one? Surefire confidence. Um, I guess it'd be Josh. No, not quite. Uh, tell me then. It's Fish Fisher. Mm. The method to be- I like that. Yeah. Surefire confidence by Fish Fisher. The method to believing in yourself 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the second part of the title really, really brought that home. Fish's <laughs> takes are with 100% conviction and I respect the heck out of it. Absolutely. And he's told me this before. He's like, when you gamble, you have to be confident in your bets. <laughs> That's why I never do it. Yeah. All right. Number three. I think you'll like this one. Pessimism is the way. Uh, it's gotta be Braden, right? That's Braden. Okay. Uh, <laughs> our very own IHOP. Pessimism, pessimism is the way using negativity to gather a sense of well-being. <laughs> I like it. Yes. He's, uh, he's had a rough go of it the last few weeks. And it, it's sporting you know, wise. <laughs> I really believe it does help him get back to a baseline because He's just so angry at the Colts and the Yankees just letting him down so many years that uh, he's he just the only way he can tolerate it is if he's just negative about it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. I think I do a little bit of the same. It's a good coping mechanism. Yeah, for sure. All right. This one should be pretty easy. How to troll like a pro. <laughs> uh, Joshua Pranger. By Josh Pranger, your personal playbook into becoming an internet sensation. <laughs> That's a good one. He's uh, he's our very own Twitter star. Yeah. All right. This is a good one. He may not like this, but I think it's a good one. Grumbling for dummies. It's got to be Eric, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the auditor. Using behind the scenes complaints to garner likability and create change. <laughs> that's awesome well speaking of the next one audit your life <laughs> mr bandler uh, no uh Nathledge. oh that's actually that's a good one i for mark also speaking of auditing he's he's auditing my trade books the last couple last couple <laughs> moves we have made together eating my lunch <laughs> Yeah, he's Audit Your Life by Mark Nathlich. The value of inspecting and evaluating your life to engender change. <laughs> That's <laughs> he, awesome. He does a great job checking my work. I screw up a, a scenario. He corrects it. He, he's very good with that. Uh, and uh, it plays really well for sure. So number seven, punning to the finish line. Maybe rich? It's rich. Yeah. How a sports pun a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> I love a, I love a guy that can appreciate a good sports pun. Pun into the finish line. Number eight, analytic persuasion. Persuasion, uh, fancy basketball, possibly Mr. Bert Chen. It is. It is. I like that. The science of using research-based logic and reasoning to lead the masses. Yeah, every text Bert sends in the group chat carries some weight. It seems like. Yeah, he'll 
<laughs> as as Eric says, <laughs> Bert should run for president when everybody hopped on his train of two draft pick trading deadlines <laughs> on the Joe Bala Zoom. <laughs> that was wild how quick that whole Zoom changed. That was a, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, number nine, the power of the stash. Uh, gotta be Drew, right? Drew pause. How your facial hair makes you grow on others. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable second line, but yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of research out there that says a man with a stash is somebody you can trust and uh, that they genuinely feel more comfortable and happier around a man with a mustache. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Never knew that. Yeah. Number 10, extreme loyalty. I don't even know who we haven't called. So who is it? Andrew. Oh, that's a great one. Dream loyalty by Andrew Thayer. How cheering for a losing sports team builds character. That's yeah. That's just about sums it up, especially fantasy football life. Yeah. Got to respect it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Getting down to the wire here. Silent, but deadly. I, I don't know if he counts as one of the ones he didn't say anything, but Frank. No, I actually didn't do one for Frank, um, but okay. uh, Anthony. Anthony, that's a good one. He's uh, he's he's learning the ropes for sure. He's becoming quite the uh, the force. Yeah, Silent but Deadly by Anthony Carrillo. Why a quiet mind can be the ultimate weapon. Uh, he, I like that. He's somebody who competes, but doesn't really say much. But he he always competes. So uh, definitely respect that. Uh, number 12, the knowledge of consistency. Um, have you said Bandler yet? That's Bandler. Yep. Yeah. Um, how routines can help you devote your brain's energy to remembering the smallest of facts. <laughs> like atomic habits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was a hard one for me, but, uh, Bandler is somebody who is very routine oriented. He's, you know, with his work, with his workouts, he always watches the games, uh, he can he can pull up any random sports fact or or name or he's just really good with that and I think it's because he's so routine regimented that he can just devote his his energy to things he wants and that's sports. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. All right, this is going to be pretty simple. The last two, but you're the author of the art of the jinx. <laughs> the art of the jinx by. Donald Ramirez, (laughs) how carefully timed and pointed statements can alter the course of outcomes and reality. I like that a lot. (laughs) I think uh, you played on the art of the deal. I've been known for uh, my negotiating skills like Mr. Donald himself. And I think you hit it right on the head. And lastly, put your phone away by Burnett Socks. Why? why, What's the second part of it? Go ahead. Why your technology is ruining your mind and your body, and what to do about it. (laughs) I was going to say, get off my lawn, these kids these days. (laughs) Dot dot dot. (laughs) I saw a meme the other day that it was like uh, the ancestors looking down at their our generation. And it, the caption is these effing phones. <laughs> um, yeah, that probably drives you nuts, huh? Yeah. 
Um, oh man. Okay. I know we're running out of time. I did end up talking to my old mentor, uh, Chris Holder. He's, he's a strength coach at modern day. Uh, he was an offensive lineman. He played for Eastern Kentucky back in the day. Uh, he's been around football his entire life and we've worked together and we were trying to debate why offensive linemen were getting hurt. And he, he brought up some really interesting theories about why this is the case. And a lot of it has to do with how they're being coached. So traditionally, offensive linemen were taught to play football with their toes pointed forward, almost like you know the standard squat stance, toes straight ahead, and, uh, and you just play from that athletic position. Well, nowadays... If you watch a lineman pass block, his feet get turned out and it's used for leverage and it's, it's used to try to help them be a little bit quicker. So they, they kind of do this like toe duck pass blocking stance. Yeah. I'm trying Williams is the perfect example. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I try, I'm trying to act it out on camera here, but you guys can probably figure out what I'm saying. All you need to do is watch one offensive lineman do this and you'll see what I'm talking about. Duck feet. Yep. Yeah. And, and, so it's, it's, they're doing it this way because it's supposedly more efficient and it's better um, for the performance piece. However, it's a lot harder on their bodies. Prime, or excuse, pair that with all of these guys' postural deficiencies, and now you have a nightmare. So if you ever watch one of these linemen stand, you're going to see the arches of their feet cave in. If you watch them play football, you're going to see the insides of their feet are making contact with the ground. The news for you guys is that the inside of your feet, the arches should never make contact with the ground ever. Um, that's it's the arch. It should not be touching the ground. And here we are, we're in a flat footed society. Everybody, especially offensive linemen, these big dudes, their feet are caving in their knees cave in. And that puts them at whole risk. If somebody rolls up on the ankle and knee, ACL goes, MCL goes, there has nowhere to go because they're getting jammed so far in. And so it has to do, it's almost like very powerlifting-esque. You've got these guys, if you're like doing a sumo deadlift, for example, that's how they're playing football. And, you know, it does help you use certain muscles a different way and, and helps you with your leverage. But it, the ankles, the knees, everything has to, something has to pay a price. And so I think this is one of the contributing factors. Like I said, you compare the technique. I don't think the technique's been an issue until these last couple of years because we're dealing with guys who have terrible posture. So it's a bad combination. That's fascinating. That's really interesting to me. Uh, for all the listeners, you got a deep dive into the insides of baseball and then you get to learn about postural deficiencies and uh, how the feet work today. So, wow, what an insightful episode by us. Yeah, took me down to, I got to write my book, Put Your Phone Away. That's how I got to it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Put your phone away and uh, get your feet working right. Yeah, well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, this was a fun hey, one, episode. One more real quick. Last oh, the fact, fact of the day, yeah. Yes, uh, I'll end this on this. 80% uh, of the time, I can't really make it a trivia for you, sorry, but. 80% of the time since it started in 2013, uh, there was four years in there where Taco Bell did not do this, but 80% of the time that 
the team who has stolen the first base of the series and gotten the world a free taco, 80% of the time that team has gone on and won the World Series. So oh. Kyle Schwarber did it this year. We'll see what happens. I like it. I remember getting my Angel Pagan taco back in uh, 2012. And I remember that one vividly too. I got I got his taco as well. I haven't gotten Schwarber's yet. That would be a hopefully it's a double beef quesarito from Schwarber. Yeah, yeah, Doritos love <laughs> tacos. My dad in 2020, he's like, I want my Mookie Betts taco. <laughs> <laughs> Mookie taco. Uh, yep. So there you have it. Uh, hopefully, some some ones that people haven't heard. Yeah, yeah. Good show, Matt. Um, I'll be on hiatus next week. I'll be in Hawaii. So probably no wow. Sweet. What island? Uh, Oahu. That'll be amazing. Are you going with family? Uh, you and your your lady? Yeah. Nice. Wow. Any questions being asked? Uh, well, no, not not that those kinds of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Figured I'd ask. All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, we'll we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.